Open your copy of God's Word to Romans 11 this morning, long passage, but I want us to kind of work through it, taking some larger chunks in Romans so that you get the entire arguments, argument that's there, instead of just, sometimes, sometimes in the book of Romans, it's, there's so much meat here, it's easy for us to get bogged down and miss the forest for the trees, uh, so to speak, and I've been trying to give you kind of a broader view of, especially chapters 9, 10, and 11, uh, because so many people get confused by these chapters and just neglect them uh, as a result. This morning, we look into chapter 11 to remind you, if you weren't here last week, chapter 10, you can get a summary of it by just looking at verse 1 of chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is their salvation. So Paul starts chapter 10 saying, man, I really wish I could see Jews saved. I, I pray for them. I plead to God that they would be saved. Then you get to the conclusion of chapter 10, verse 21. And as for Israel, so these Jews, he says, all the day long I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. These Jews that he hopes will be saved are disobedient. They're not listening. All they got to do is listen to the word of God, believe uh, in Christ, and they would be saved. God says, I, I hold out my hands, just as some of the passages we read already in the service. Come to me. I'm holding out my hands. Come to me. I will save you. And they are disobedient. They're just obstinate. They refuse to believe. They refuse to come. Now, think about the ramifications for that if the Jews are the favorite child of God. The Jews are God's chosen people. And Paul, a good Jew, is preaching to them, and they're not coming. They're not being saved. God says, I'm holding out my hands. I'm holding out the gospel to you. You're not paying attention. What am I going to do with you? So, will all Israel not be saved? And that becomes chapter 11. Uh, let, me, let me put it to you in our terms uh, today. Suppose I were to tell you that God's favorite child is white privileged folks. But if he chooses to reject the white privileged folks, then it will be good for the black folks, and they will be saved. You see, that's what's happening here. Could we be so bold as to let God be in charge of ethnic groups? Could God say, I'm going to use one ethnic group for the benefit of another ethnic group? And then we struggle with, well, it, is that fair? I thought we were the favorite group. I thought I was the favorite child. And now you're rejecting me for another? That doesn't seem right, but I've been holding out my hands to you, and you're disobedient, and you're obstinate, and you're not following me. Do you not get it? Now, this matters to all of us, Romans 11, in the sense of eternal security. Right? You understand that? That if God has made a covenant and a promise with a people group called Jews, and then that covenant is broken, 
and they're no longer saved, well, I thought once saved, always saved. So that's what we're struggling with in this chapter. What we thought were saved people, special people, chosen people, privileged people, are now becoming rejected so that others can be privileged and chosen and given grace. Great issues. And when we get into the political correct scene, and I don't want to go there. I just want to stay with the Bible. I want to think through what God's doing because my salvation is at stake. And yours is too. And that's what Paul's trying to deal with as he's, he's preaching to this uh, group, primarily Gentiles, in, in Rome. And yet there's some Jews there. And I've heard the Jews are the privileged group. So that means we're out. And then God, Paul says, no, 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 not at all. The privileged group is now out and you're in. Well, explain that to me. So Romans 11 is God's answer to the controversy and the conflict that that seems to stir up in all of us. So let me just kind of work through first 14 verses, just this whole favorite child issue that seems to be before us, this privileged group. Chapter 11, verse 1, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? Has he? I mean, He's holding out his hands. He says, I'm done. May it never be, for I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. All right, great argument. Uh, you'll see constantly through this chapter, you're having to say, when he says, my people, Israel, Jew, what, is he talking about an ethnic group, or is he talking about a remnant of the ethnic group, meaning the chosen ones, the, the ones that are going to heaven? Uh, and he's, he's, he's going back and forth with that all the time. So he says, has God rejected his people? All the ethnic people, if you're a Jew, in other words, are you now rejected? His first argument, that can't be the answer. Why? Because Paul says, I'm a Jew. And he hasn't rejected me. As a matter of fact, I won't take the time, but you look it up. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, Paul says, not only am I a Jew, I'm the worst Jew. It is appointed that God says, he says, it's a trustworthy statement, 1 Timothy 1, 15, if I can remember. It's a trustworthy statement that, that God has deserved, that, that God has decided to save sinners of, among whom I'm the worst. So Paul, a Jew, and the worst of the Jews has gotten saved. Now, he was the worst because he was a blasphemer. He was out to crush the church. He was putting Christians into jail. He was approving of Christians being murdered. Uh, Paul was terrible before he got saved. And yet he got saved. So he said, you can't just make a blanket statement and say all Jews are going to hell. Because as a people, they have been disobedient and obstinate. He says, because I got saved. And I'm not going to hell. And so he goes on. He says, let me give you another argument. Not only from an argument from, from one person like me, the Apostle Paul. He says, let me give you the argument of Elijah. Verse 2. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in this passage about Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel. Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've torn down your altars. And I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? 
I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way, then, there's also, there has also come to be in the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Okay, so there's the illustration. He says, let's go back to the time of Elijah. In the time of Elijah, what was happening? Elijah was, was the prophet that went up against the king and the queen of Israel. And they had turned over their worship. Instead of worshiping the creator God, they're worshiping Baal. And when Elijah has his con conflict with his countrymen, the Jews, he feels like, I'm the only one. Nobody is on my side. Nobody's on my team. It's me against the world. And at some point, he's just sick and he's tired of it. God, I'm, I'm tired of being the only one. Are you just saving me? Just take my life too. This is miserable. And then God comes into the picture and speaks to Elijah and says, Elijah, wake up, man. I'm not just saving you. I'm saving, there's 7,000 other people I'm feeding and taking care of right now that are Jews. Yes, I'm going to wipe out the Baal prophets. Yes, I'm going to wipe out most of Israel. But I'm saving 7,000 plus one plus you. Again, the argument is not all Jews are going to hell. I'm saving some. Now, that's a big, that's a big change from millions to 7,000. I mean, that's serious. But nevertheless, we don't just make a blanket statement against one ethnic group and say, they're done, can't be saved, don't waste your time on them. Paul says, no, 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 no. I was saved. I was one of those few. Elijah was saved. He was one of those few. There were 7,000 others in his day that were saved. They are one of those few. So yes, God is fed up with those who are against him. And yet he still brings good news to them for those who will believe, but it's not based on works. There were a lot of Jews that thought, if I'm just a good person, if I just do good stuff, God's going to save me. He has to. He's already promised that I'm a Jew. Jews are his favorite. And so he's going to save us. We just need to be good. Well, there were plenty in that camp. And they don't get fully destroyed. Some are saved, but a great number are not. Well, let's move on. Not only do some get saved, so we've got a remnant. You get that message starting to come to us. Verse 7 and 8. What then? What Israel is seeking, it is not obtained. So what they were seeking was being God's good chosen people will, will, will make heaven. Well, no, that's not going to get you to heaven. Uh, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see, not, uh, and ears to hear not, down to the very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. Uh, favorite children are discarded 
Uh, but there's a remnant in that group that are being saved. A lot of people today still, good groups of people think, based on their rules, their laws, they're going to be saved. Just like this Jewish group thought, well, we're the chosen favorite, you know, we're doing some good stuff, so we're going to be saved. We've got Hindus today that believe that. We've got Muslims that believe that. We've got good Americans that believe that. If I just, you know, go to church, give, give some money, act, behave decently, God's chosen to bless this nation. He's going to bless me. I'm going to be okay. I'm going I'm to be saved. And Paul's speaking into that and says, did you not see what he did to the Jews who thought that way? They didn't get saved that way. It didn't happen that way. That's obstinate. That's disobedient. That's contrary to God's plan of salvation. Instead of believing in Christ, believing they needed a righteousness not their own, they chose to do their own thing, and it did not work out well for them. So are all Jews then gone? Verse 11. No. I say then. i got to get back to it. They did not stumble so as to fall, did they? Again, he's talking about the whole nation. No. May it never be, because there's this remnant he keeps coming back to. But their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, that's a great transition that we need to be aware of. Uh, let me show it to you in one quick verse. Look at Acts chapter 13, verse 46. This is the Apostle Paul's life, how it kind of uh, emerged he started out preaching to the Jews, and then we get to this place, Acts 13, verse 46. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, and they said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. So he's talking to Jews. We spoke to you first. Since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, you're unworthy of eternal life by believing and hearing Christ alone, Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. Now, when he says that, the Jews get more mad at him, kick him out. The Gentiles rejoice. Oh, great. What Romans was telling us is that when God did that, took salvation to the Gentiles, took the good news of Christ to the Gentiles, it was for the purpose of making the Jews jealous. That they would see God's salvation is better than us trying to save ourselves, and that would lead them back to Christ. Um, verse 12 of Romans uh, 11, Now if their transgressions, transgression is riches for the wor world, and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? So Israel's, the Jews' sin, it's Providing riches, not just Gentiles. Gentiles means every ethnic group, all of the world. Here's how it practically worked. If you were living in Jesus' day, Jesus comes in to say, this is a synagogue. We're good Jews. We're meeting on the Sabbath day. And Jesus walks in. He says, the word of God's fulfilled in your presence. I am your Messiah. And you as Jews say, no, 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 no can't possibly be our Messiah. And you kick Jesus out 
Well, that goes on for a while. And then Jesus sends his apostles, and they go into the synagogue, and they say the same thing. The word of God's fulfilled in your presence. You need to trust in Christ. No, 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 no. They kick the apostles out, and he sends other preachers in. They kick them out. Now, if, if the Jews had not been sinful and disobedient and kept kicking the gospel out, what would have happened? The Jews would have had revival. We'd have just seen it in a, in a history book. Great revival among the Jews. Because they kicked the gospel out, not only did they not get revival, they kicked the revival outside. Jesus and the apostle and the preacher started going to the Gentiles. I was like, I guess since they don't want to listen, we'll go to somebody who does. And all the world began to listen to the apostles preaching and teaching. Hearing the favorite child doesn't want it. But we get it. And God says, if, if you really get it, then when the Jews come into your church, what should they see? They should see God coming down. They should see an intimacy between you and God. They see you giving God honor and glory. They see hearts that are changed. They see prayers that are answered. They see people loving one another. And they say, I want that. I thought those are the privileges. I thought the favorite child God, the, the chosen one's God. And y'all are getting it? I want that. God says, that's what's going to happen. Not only will the world get saved, but it'll come back to the Jews, come all that way back around. And the Jews will begin to now listen, whereas they weren't listening at all before that salvation is in Christ in Him alone. Um, 2,000 years have gone by. Are the Jews jealous? I mean, I think one application there for us is to say, do we have a lifestyle? Do we have a worship? Do we have a relationship with God that's so wonderful and intimate and great that other people like Jews are jealous? Do you have that kind of relationship with Christ? With God? God says, that's, that's the purpose as I send the gospel to you Gentiles. You're supposed to grow in such grace, such intimacy with me. Others see it and they want some. They want it. We need to demonstrate it's not about us. God has been so good to us, so gracious to us, so pardoning of our sins, so wonderfully transforming us that others say, yeah, I want that. Forces us all to evaluate our lives. What the Jews lost, we have gained. We don't want to become like the Jews had become, thinking, oh, no, well, now it's about us. I'm doing the good stuff. And so God's going to save me because of me. And God says, no, 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 that's not good news at all. It was always about Christ. Well, Let's, uh, there's a transition here, verses 15 to 19. I call it, it's, it's right in the text, the severity and kindness of God. God's being kind to us, to the whole world. 
At the same time, there's a severe blow. There's severity. There's judgment to the Jew in this passage. And he doesn't want us to miss it so much, so he stops and just says, Behold, don't miss this. Let me read it to you. Verses, I'll start at verse 15. Um, 15 for if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. Now, you could spend a long time on this, but let me just give you, I'm just, just going to point it out so you don't miss it. He's using two analogies here. Low, uh, uh, a piece of dough is holy, or a root from a tree is holy. And if you basically put other dough with that holy dough, it makes it holy. If you put another graft in a branch to this holy root, it's going to make it holy. So the big picture is, don't miss holy. Don't miss the importance of holiness here. Because the Jew didn't have it. He says, the Gentile is, is growing in it. Verse 17, but if some of the branches were broken off, so you've got this holy root, and you break off the Jewish branch and throw it away and you that's us Gentiles being a wild olive were grafted in among them and became a partaker with them of the rich root so the implication is if you partake of the root which is holy you will be holy as well verse 18 so don't be arrogant don't think it's about you here still still about the root do not be arrogant towards the branches in other words, don't say, well, we cut those branches off because they're no good. But I'm good. That's why I was grafted in. He said, no, 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 no. That's not where we're going here with this analogy. You were grafted in, but you're holy because of the root, not because of you. Um, you verse 19, you will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief, so they weren't holy. But you stand how? By your faith. Not by your good works. By believing in Christ. He says, so don't be conceited. Fear. But fear, well, he means revere God. Worship God. Adore God for what he just did there. By bringing us to the holiness of God. Verse 21. If God did not spare the natural branches, he's not going to spare you either. What a strong statement. And here's the, the word behold. Behold then the kindness and the severity of God. To those who fail, severity. But to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. It's just a strong, sobering statement that we've got to get. And the illustrations he gives several there is are the fruit he wants us to see through the illustration is the fruit of holiness. God says, I made a change. Not really a change. Always I've said, all the way back in Leviticus, he says, be holy for I am holy. Israel was not holy when I in, entered into a covenant with Israel. I told them to keep my commandments. They've chosen not to. I've cut them off. I'm grafting you in. What's your obligations? 
Your obligation is holiness. How do you get holy? It's through being grafted in. It's, be, it's by abiding in Christ, John 15, so that the fruit of God, fruit of holiness, comes out of our lives. It's believing God wants to transform and change us. I don't want you to, to miss uh, this, this whole theme of uh, holiness. Hebrews is strong on it. Let's look over at the book of Hebrews a minute. Let me just read some of this so that you begin to, to apply it uh, rightly and, and not just hear doctrine this morning. Hebrews, let's see, Hebrews 10. Let me start there. Hebrews 10. And I'm going to read a, a section, verses 20 uh, through 28 and then a few other verses. Hebrews 10, verse 20. By a new and living way which he inaugurated, that he is Christ, for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, that's Christ as well, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day uh, uh, drawing near. To, don't, don't just keep reading and, and miss. Do you see everything he said? Because we have Christ, we should be holy. And we meet, we should meet together because we should be holy. We should talk to one another because we should be holy. That's the focus all the way through that section. Then verse 26, for if we go on sinning willfully, see, if we don't become holy and still play with our sins, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside current terminology, anyone who has unhitched themselves from the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or more witnesses crucial that we understand receiving Christ is being grafted into Christ which produces a fruit of holiness verse 38 same passage Hebrews 10 but my righteous one shall live by faith I believe Christ is doing this in me and if he shrinks back my soul has no pleasure in me. I grew up in an age when people used to say, well, I guess, preacher, you just called me a backsliding Christian. And I would respond to that by saying, absolutely not. I would never call you that. Because I understand by you saying that, that you're constantly backsliding. That's not a definition of a Christian. And here was the passage I would show them. It says, we are not. Christians are not people who are continually backsliding. We're not. We're constantly meeting together and stimulating one another, encouraging one another to be holy, not to be backsliders. To be backsliders is what Israel did. Do you not get how serious that was? 
to think that it would not matter. Verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. In the same book, look, look over at chapter 12, verse 14. It says, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification or the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Absolute statement. You must be holy or you will not see the Lord. And that was God's message to Israel in chapter 10 of Romans. That you're obstinate, you're disobedient, you're holy. Why in the world do you think you're going to, I mean, you're not holy. Why in the world do you think you're going to see me? And Romans 11 is, you're not. Behold the severity of God upon those who think that if they are privileged people, they don't have to care about sin. Do we have a culture in America that's growing that way? Because we're privileged Americans, we're privileged people, that if, if we will just you know, go to church, be nice, be good people, we'll be saved. And God says, absolutely not. Can you not look at the Jew and see that doesn't work? If you are my special people, then you're holy. You're grafted in to be holy. Taking a little trivia quiz yesterday saying, is the word Trinity in the Bible? Well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Trivia. But the triune God is in the Bible. Have you ever considered the, the Trinitarian purpose, the triune God's gold and passion in life? Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, But God, God the Father, fatherhood of the Trinity. Ephesians 1 4, But God the Father chose us in Christ so that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. God the Father's plan was that we would be in Christ holy and blameless. God the Son, Christ, came into the world. Call His name Jesus, Matthew 1, 21, because He will save His people from their sins. He has come to provide them holiness. Take away sin and give supply righteousness. The Father's plan was our holiness. The Son's provision was our holiness. The Holy Spirit's job and purpose, John 16, verse 8, is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit, not an accident that he's described that way. The Holy Spirit is to work and plant holiness within the people of God. To put the law of God on our hearts so that we respond to it and demonstrate that we've been transformed by grace and we live as holy. So now, the point in Romans 11, can you live any way you want because you're privileged? Didn't work for the Jew. Why in the world would you think it would work for you? It's not going to work. 
behold, the kindness, God has given grace. He's planned holiness. He's provided holiness. He plants holiness. If you don't receive holiness and become holy in Christ, then you face the severity of God. Both sides of this sovereign God, He is both severe in judgment as He is kind in grace and holiness. How many in our church get this? Say, verses 22 through 25 there in, in Romans 11, they said, basically, it doesn't matter how we live. It doesn't matter how we turn out. Because we're chosen. We're God's special people. So I can mess up Good bit if I want. I mean, it's not going to matter. I'm going once saved, always saved. And the passage keeps coming back. You're focusing on your own works in such a way that you think your sin, which you're not focused on, doesn't really matter. God said it matters absolutely. If I've cut off old branches because they didn't produce holiness, I'll cut off current ones because they don't produce holiness. We must see that's the fruit of being in Christ, being transformed, is that we be holy and blameless before him in love. Verse 26, so then, so as all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. Well, who's he talking about? He's talking about the remnant. The deliverer will come from Zion. Verse 26, he will remove ungodliness. See, the holiness theme there. From Jacob, this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. The sin issue matters greatly to God. Those that are being saved, that's not a complicated statement. All Israel will be saved. All of what Israel? All of the remnant. That's what he's been talking about in the whole chapter. So just stay in the context. What part of Israel? Everybody in the ethnic group? No. You can go back to chapter 10, verse 1. You can go to the last chapter. Go back to verse 14. Paul says, if somehow, of chapter 11, if somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. He's already said in this context, they're not all going to be saved. But I hope some of them, I know them by name. They are my fellow countrymen. And I want to see some of those people saved. Who will be saved? All of the ones that God chooses will be saved. All of Israel, that God comes and removes ungodliness. He removes the unholy lifestyle. Those will indeed be saved. He'll take away their sin. Verse 28, 29, from the, from the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So yes, if God chooses you in Christ, it's irrevocable. Once saved, always saved. But if he chooses you in Christ, you will be holy. You will be transformed. 
Because it was the Father's plan, it was the Son's provision, it's the Holy Spirit's work. It's going to happen. If you are denying, if you're obstinate disobedience to the triune God, and you're not holy, you need to be trembling. There needs to be a fearfulness in us. Anytime we are playing with sin, thinking it doesn't matter, I'm saved. You, we should never walk into sin and say, this sin won't matter, I'm saved. And yet, I run into so many people who live that way. Right now, we're thinking, yeah, that doesn't, yeah, that doesn't make sense. But that's the way we live when we're not faithful to our spouse. When we don't think God's sexual parameters matter. When we don't think the way we speak, the way we talk, the way we communicate, our goals and passions don't matter. It's like, well, I'm saved, it doesn't matter. And God says, that's where Israel should be a big testimony to you. Can you not see millions wiped out and only a few chosen because of that attitude? And I'm holding out the good news and the gospel, and I'm making it really easy. I'm just asking, believe. Hear the word and believe. And be transformed. Be saved. That's God's passion for us. There should be great fearfulness in toying and playing with sin. And then when he gets to the end of this this book. Let me show you, if you get it right, where it leads you. Um, verse 30 to the end. For just as you once were disobedient. Yeah, that's me. I was terribly disobedient to God. But now I have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. The gospel got kicked to me. Verse 31. So these also now have been disobedient that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. If we, you know, it's like it, this cycle keeps going. If the gospel comes to you and you reject it, it gets kicked on. Sometimes kicked back to the Jew. We have this opportunity now. If God's chosen you, have you chosen God? And have you chosen to live for Him? They didn't. We can see how that turned out. Verse 32, For God has shut up all in disobedience so that He may show mercy to all. All those who will and are obedient uh, in Christ. Verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. An unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? Who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? Of course, he answers that nobody, nobody, nobody. Verse 36 For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Are you surprised by God's mercy? You see, if you're not surprised, you're thinking too much of yourself. You're thinking you don't need it. 
this passage just ends up with mercy, mercy, mercy. And it's just like, wow, it was so severe. It was so judgmental. And yet, I, I got mercy. So surprising. And it gets to a place, if, if, see, everybody who understands mercy ends up in worship. Because I didn't deserve mercy. I didn't earn mercy. I didn't do anything to get mercy. I was disobedient. I heard of Christ, I believed, and I was given mercy. Wow. Now, yes, I want to be holy, but it's because I've already received mercy. I didn't do holy stuff to get it. Matter of fact, it just caught me by surprise that I got it. So I now must live it, and I must be holy. I'm surprised I became one of the favorite children. I thought the Jew was the favorite child. It surprised me that I was chosen in Christ to be holy. When I thought it was going to go to someone else. And God says, and if you don't produce the fruit of it, if you don't grow, you were not in Christ. And it kicks on to those who are in Christ. Another application that you see here is not only this... Are you surprised by this? It just, and it breaks forth in the worship. But the teaching here is that when you teach mercy, it leads to worship. Second, you don't have to understand God to get it, to get mercy. How unfathomable, how unsearchable, how indescribable is the mercy of God. In other words, if you understood it all, you would be God, but you're not God, so you can't understand it all. It's way above us how God can look at every ethnic group and choose me in Christ. And when you get that, when you get the millions and billions of options God has that he's chosen you, you should say mercy. Mercy. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for choosing me. Because I was without hope. Without you. I was by no means the favorite child. I was by no means the one that should become the object of your affection. And God says, yes, exactly right. Behold the kindness of God upon such as you. Now be holy. Uh, Giving quick applications. All our confidence must be in God for salvation. That's clearly what's here. We, we don't get to choose. God chooses. Our confidence must be in His choice. Not us having the right heritage, not us being in the right group. If a person can be a Jew and still go to hell, I don't care what group you're in, you can still go to hell too. Our only confidence and hope is in Christ alone. 
Not in our group. Not in our heritage. It's in God's mercy alone. And to Him be the glory for it. Second, Paul, you remember the Apostle Paul, says, he started in chapter 1, I'm really pleading God save some of my brothers that are Jews. In chapter 11, verse 14, he says, these are my countrymen. I hope we can save some of them. Those people that Paul was passionate to save, if God would allow him to be the vessel to share the good news, those were the people that ran Paul out of the synagogue. Those were the people who stoned him three times and left him for dead. Do you sometimes feel like Paul or Elijah, like you're the only one in your family that gets it? That you're the only one in your office that's saved? Or you're the only one in school that's saved? And you wish there were more? Don't give up. Continue your evangelistic efforts. Continue sharing Christ. Continue remembering the severity of God upon those who are not in Christ. So that you continue sharing Christ. Paul did. And as a result of that, some are saved. And the gospel has come to us because of that passion. And we should have that same passion of letting people see it's really about Christ and they need him. And then third, I think by now you can see God is clearly not anti-Semitic. There's still hope for the Jews and there's hope for sinners like us. It's through Christ alone. As long as God is a God of mercy, there's hope. Thank God for his mercy. We have no ability to save ourselves. We are in constant need of divine mercy. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the good news that we have a God with a passion to be merciful to sinners. We all qualify. We're all sinners. We're all seeking our own way. None of us come seeking you until we're transformed, until we're changed by mercy. Father, we ask that you would change us now. If there be any in this room that have happened to end thinking that their good works would be a credit for them down the road. Help them to see, Lord, even now, their good works are no credit. They can only be fruit of your salvation. Lord, let us not seek to credit ourselves. Let us seek to give all credit and glory to our God. We have come from you we return to you, to you be the glory and the honor and the praise. Father, make us fruitful and effective in living lives of holiness that make others jealous of an intimacy, of a love relationship that only comes in the context of holiness. And may they see that special relationship and also want in. And may they hear of Christ and be saved. We ask the Lord this for every child here. For those who are still struggling to understand a God who is merciful. 
There's so much, Lord, about you we don't get yet. But we get enough when we understand you've sent Christ to be our pardon and our righteousness. Father, help us to rejoice in that and to get that well and to constantly share it with others. We thank you for the way you're blessing and building New Covenant Church. Lord, let us not be lackadaisical. Let us not be complacent towards holiness. Let us not ever go to the place where we think playing with sin doesn't matter. May it be about your honor and your glory. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.